Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. The COVID pandemic has claimed hundreds of thousands of human lives and infected millions of people around the world. There are many theories as to the cause of this pandemic, not least conspiracy theories that suggest that it is caused by our own technological innovations. Dr. Wasim Ahmed, my guest on the podcast today, explores one of those theories, and his research tells us so much about what we can do to prevent misinformation from contaminating efforts to control infections in future pandemics. Tell us about the 5G conspiracy. What what exactly is that and what are people thinking? So I was just browsing Twitter and, and I saw a hashtag that was trending, 5G COVID, and I, I clicked on it. At the time, I hadn't published on COVID-19, but wasn't planning to, but then I saw a lot of people on this hashtag linking COVID-19 to the mobile communications network, 5G. And at first I thought, this can't be real. Like people can't actually believe that the two are are linked. And then when I was scrolling through the tweets, it seemed like there were some users who genuinely believed that there was a, a link. And then there were news reports that phone mass towers that uh, kind of host 5G communications had been attacked. One at a hospital had been uh, attacked as well. And when people would post uh, pictures of burning 5G towers, there were comments saying, can we go and attack some more? Or how, what can we do to kind of bring some more down? So although there were a lot of people just joking and, and, and having a laugh, there was a small group of users that I think did genuinely believe there was some kind of link or they actually believed in, in the in, in the conspiracy. So in our paper, we retrieved seven days worth of, of data from that trending period, did a social network analysis on that data to try and find out who are the key influencers, who are the key websites, and actually find out the percentage of people who are who are actually believing the conspiracy theory, which which was low, but it was still a, a kind of number percentage of, of individuals. And what has been the impact of this more broadly? So I think it was a a report, uh, possibly by Oxford University, or or some academic report that said people who are kind of more likely to believe in in conspiracy theories potentially might be less likely to follow the COVID-19 rules and uh, precautions. And in in another paper, which we also recently had accepted in the, the Journal of Medical internet research and the previous study is, is published there as well. We found there was another hashtag called a film your hospital where people were arguing that the whole pandemic was was a hoax and that they encouraged people to go to the hospitals and film them to prove that the hospitals were not uh, overrun. And I think uh, th- these people, if, if they are believing that the COVID-19 pandemic is a hoax, they are probably less likely to follow any of the kind of uh, precautions, social distancing, uh, isolation, and, and and so forth. So it could potentially have serious implications in the kind of preventing the transmission of the of the COVID nineteen. Were you able to find where the conspiracy theories started? Do we know how they started, or or who had anything to gain from this? So with the COVID nineteen and and five G link that there was already a conspiracy theory about the dangers of, of 5G. 
And it's uh, you can trace that back to 4G networks, 3G networks. Anytime there's new technology, people are going to be fearful about it. But this time with the 5G, it was coinciding with the COVID-19 pandemic. And people started to just share on Twitter saying, oh, perhaps the 5G communication networks are affecting our kind of immune systems, the weakening of them and, and so forth. So it's just people making that general kind of conspiracy link. Over time, those messages start to get stronger from people. And people start saying, what if it's actually causing it? It's actually spreading it and, and so forth. So people who believed it had varying degrees of belief in it. So either it's weakening the immune system or it's actually spreading it. In terms of who was spreading it, some of the key drivers that started to amplify on Twitter and perhaps other platforms were uh, fake news websites as well. So websites that have alternative news and generally host conspiracy theories. So so they were uh, one of them. We also found that specific uh, accounts were also set up on Twitter. So one was called 5G COVID-19. And that account was also driving and pushing the, the conspiracy. Twitter did remove that account, but they didn't remove it soon enough. It was it sent out many tweets in, in the network. Uh, we also found there were some accounts or websites that had a commercial interest in spreading the conspiracy theory. So there's you can buy jackets, uh, headwear, and, and all sorts to kind of protect yourself from radiation waves. And so those organizations came out and said, look, buy our, our gear because there's a link between the two as well. So we saw a bit of that come out as well. And with the Fermi Hospital hashtag, I think there was a, potentially a kind of political link that if uh, people wanted to argue that the lockdown should be ended and, and so forth, they might use the hashtag showing that COVID has, has been a hoax. So people have kind of different motives for, for both of those conspiracies. So in fact, this is the use of social networks for doing harm. And we have now seen that this has been extremely prevalent in all manner of ways. And when it comes to health, it becomes a particular problem, doesn't it? Because you now have a situation where people are not taking precautions against the virus and and spreading the virus. You can have uh, real world implications. And one of the things with the social media platforms is the kind of amplification level. So if if just a couple of people are, are, are tweeting and posting about it, when Twitter's algorithm, for instance, finds out and starts showing other people that it's trending, it's actually amplifying the, the conspiracy. There are always people who say strange things in social yeah. media or, or in your neighborhood. Now they're able yeah. to get their voice right across the world. Definitely. And, and one thing that that's happened with the lockdowns around the world, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, they've seen massive increases in user bases. So when people didn't have anything else to do. They can't really go out. They were connecting to social media more. And then the visibility was increased and there were more people using them. So it it was uh, dangerous. People might argue that this is actually against freedom of speech. What was your take on that? It's tricky because it's hard to draw the line between freedom of of speech and and allowing people to voice some uh, opinions. One thing Twitter tried was to label posts that had misinformation are saying this potentially uh, contains uh, misinformation. And they trialed it for 5G, but uh, unfortunately, they they started to mislabel tweets. 
So if, if someone just said anything about 5G, it would say this might contain misinformation. And that drove conspiracy theorists to potentially even more saying what's what's happening here, that anything on 5G, they're, they're putting this tweet, tweet out. Um, so I think Business Insider did a, a, an article on this, and, and I gave them some, some quotes as well that potentially they might have kind of fueled conspiracies more. But if they were to get that algorithm correct, potentially that, that could be one, one solution to actually label tweets that might be of harmful. But we also recommended other measures. For instance, governments could look to social media influencers. And in, in the United Kingdom, uh, we have seen that now towards the latter stages of, of the pandemic. The UK government enlisted a popular culture figure, so from famous TV shows that might resonate with a younger audience. They use them for online campaigns and also on, on social media as well to try and reach the, the people because a government uh, account, people might not even follow it on social media, might have less followers and they might not trust what's coming from it as well. So they enlisted the, the help of popular culture uh, figures. And similarly with, with the 5G, one of the solutions could, could have been to just get really influential account to just kind of shoot down the conspiracy. And people like to retweet that join the, the popular culture figure as, as well. That could be one, one potential solution. Have we seen this before, or is this the first time in history that we've seen it at this yeah. level? Because if you think about it, 200,000 Americans have died. There are un- yeah. thousands of deaths in the UK. And in Europe, we're now looking at a, another lockdown. This is probably the largest scale of conspiracies around health topics I've seen. With the swine flu and Ebola and Zika virus. When I analyzed the, the Twitter data, we also did find conspiracy theories for, for all of them as well. For Ebola, there were a lot of conspiracies and things, but not at the same level as the, the COVID-19 pandemic, especially with the number and amount of, of users on these particular uh, hashtags. I think over time as well, more people have been starting to use online and digital platforms. So it's increased user base. So it's, it's been at a higher level on this occasion. So not only is it that the message is getting stronger, but the potential to spread that message has got capacity. It's a larger capacity. As more people connect to these platforms all, all around the world, it has further kind of potential for, for this. And what has happened to this conspiracy over time? Is it still raging, do you think, in, in on Twitter and other places? So at the moment, it's... Calm, calm down. And I think towards the start of the pandemic, some of the social media companies were struggling to deal with the misinformation because they were potentially also blindsided by COVID-19 like the, the rest of us is spiraled as, as it did. And all these conspiracies just started to come and they maybe struggled to deal with them and, and build algorithms to kind of detect them and, and so forth. But towards the latter parts, uh, they've been much better in identifying and removing misinformation. So it's, there's not been the same level of hashtags and conspiracies to, to emerge in, in the latter parts. I think the social media companies have been doing a, a better job in identifying misinformation, identifying harmful posts and, and removing them much, much quicker. That sounds fascinating. And could we possibly have predicted this? A year ago, when you think about it, a year ago, this virus hadn't started. It's really been this year that it has taken off. But the impact around the world has been huge. And of course, 
you now have countries where you've got people who are protesting against lockdown, they're protesting against the measures that are being put in place for public health and public safety. Definitely it's hard for, for anyone, especially social media companies, to predict uh, what was going, going to come. And that might have also made it tricky to, to deal with the, the volume of uh, misinformation and the users on, on, the, on the platforms. Well, I think your research has been clearly extraordinarily important. This is not the last time I would imagine that mankind will face a pandemic like this. We were expecting this. We were expecting it in terms of flu. Yeah. But of course, it was the coronavirus that actually manifested itself. Now, there are other projects that you're involved in that look at the way that social media is being used for better or for worse. I've done uh, general uh, pieces online around social media and, and COVID-19. So I did one post for the uh, LSE Impact blog where we also highlighted some of the positive aspects of, of social media as, as well. So we've said that although there are a lot of uh, potential negatives, you know, conspiracies and, and other things, that there were also uh, positive aspects during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So for instance, it gave uh, a lot of people who were locked in and locked down uh, voice and uh, ability to challenge their, their governments and uh, join on hashtags and campaigns on Twitter and, and other platforms. And it also, again, during the lockdown period, allowed people to help other people as, as well. So I think through Facebook groups and, and Facebook, people who needed resources, the elderly or, or, or the vulnerable, were able to use social media platforms, connect with each other and, and do that. And in other ways, social media has, has been able to also spread positive health messages uh, as well. So for instance, there's been a lot of campaigns around wearing face masks on social media, and it's, it's a rapid way to kind of stay up to date with news and, and information. By the moment, a lot of the research is, is focused on the kind of negative sides of it, the conspiracies and, and other stuff. So uh, me and my, my colleagues have, have also been calling for some academic research to highlight some of the positive aspects as well and the extent to, to which social media played a, a positive role in, in the pandemic as well. On the one hand, we are so much more dependent on ourselves as patients, as lay people, as opposed to physicians or nurses to look after our health. And on the other hand, we are so much more liable to be influenced for the worse if we listen to the wrong voice. Definitely. So if, if you uh, take some of these things on, on face value, the conspiracies and, and other stuff, they have has a potential to, to mislead. But uh, amongst all of that chatter, there's also a lot of helpful uh, content and, and helpful uh, features as, as well that can, can be used. Ethics committees have been quite concerned about the use of social media data, and they've almost refused us permission to use that data because they say that it it is regarded as private, regardless of it being publicly accessible, it's regarded as private. How have you managed to get around that? That's a really good point. So ethics is a a big uh, issue, and it tends to vary by different institutions, different organizations. So in in the United Kingdom, uh, most UK uh, universities are slowly uh, creating uh, guidelines for social media research. And at the University of Sheffield for my PhD, the university had some guidelines that I was able to to follow and I got research ethics approval. 
I've also published a, a book chapter as well on the ethical, legal, and methodological issues on kind of researching social media and Twitter. In my research, what I tend to do is anonymize all of the user handles. Uh, so in the research I, I mentioned, we didn't draw attention to any individuals that were spreading the conspiracy theories to kind of protect them from potential harm. And we also reword all of the social media tweets and posts. So the original meaning isn't lost, but you can't go and look those tweets up and actually find the, the people. The only time we will name an account or individual if it's clearly a kind of public organization, public uh, individual. Otherwise, we will anonymize all of that information as well, just to kind of protect people. Really, really a very, very important topic, because at the end of the day, if we don't get to terms with this, the next time this happens, yeah. it could be it could be so much worse. Definitely could be on a kind of larger, larger scale. But I think it's also been a wake up call as well deal with misinformation more, more rapidly and have better tools and, and methods as well. Wasim Ahmed, thank you very much for participating Fine. in the podcast. We're so pleased to have spoken with you today. Fine. Fine. No worries. Nice to speak with you as well. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com. <laughs>